You know, as a child, summer was my favorite season of all time because it meant no school and long daylight hours, which meant more time for fun and play. And one of my favorite memories as a kid was being out on the playground and playing dodgeball with the other kids in the neighborhood and running around the sprinklers to cool myself off. After a long day of fun, I would come home exhausted, tired, sweaty, and extremely thirsty. I would open my fridge and reach out for my favorite can of cold soda and I'd chug it down. And though in the moment I would feel refreshed, it wouldn't be long before I was thirsty again. It wasn't until I got older that I discovered that you really shouldn't drink sugary beverages when you're thirsty because it dehydrates you even more. What your thirst is telling you is that what your body really needs is life-giving water. And in the same way, we as human beings have a thirst inside of us. It's like there's a drought in our souls and we're thirsting for something. And in today's text, we're going to hear about this living water that can quench this insatiable thirst. The setting of today's story takes place at a very unusual place. It takes place at a well in Samaria. Now, this is really significant because throughout the Bible, wells were where men sought their mates. Isaac's wife, Rebecca, was first discovered at a well. Jacob met his wife, Rachel, at a well. Moses met his wife, Zipporah, at a well. And Jesus discovers a Samaritan woman at a well. But this was not your typical love story where a man and a woman meet at a well, fall in love, and get married. No, it was actually greater than that. It's a story about God's great love for humanity that made him cross all kinds of boundaries. You see, during Jesus' time, Jews and Samaritans were mortal enemies. Jews regarded the Samaritans as the worst human race of all time because they were half Jews and half Gentiles. Samaritans practiced elements of Judaism. They worshiped Yahweh, the God of Israel, alongside other gods. Both Jews and Samaritans despised one another and their religious and cultural practices. And yet, despite such hostility, Jesus went through great lengths to meet and satisfy the thirst of one individual. Let's read about what happens to this person in John chapter 4, starting with the first verse. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that G Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
Now imagine this scenario with me. There's a woman walking alone for miles and miles in the heat of the day. She is thirsty. She is weary. She is exhausted. She was like any other person who longed to be loved, valued, and accepted. But life, as it turned out, didn't play out that way. She longed for acceptance, but instead, she was rejected. The men in her life didn't want her. She was rejected time and time again by her husband, not once, not twice, but five different times with five different men. And she wasn't even sure if things were going to work out with the man she was with now. He might leave her too, just like the rest. That's a lot of emotional baggage for one person to carry. And if that wasn't enough, the women in town didn't like her either. You see, going to the well to draw water was something that you typically did with your girlfriends at the time. It was a social activity. But the fact that this woman was going to the well alone at noon, the hottest time of the day when no one else was outside, suggests that she was an outcast. She had no friends, no one to accompany her to the well because of her shameful past. Have you ever felt like this woman? Feeling weary, isolated, burdened, even carrying a sense of guilt or shame about something you've done? Maybe you've been like the Samaritan woman, looking for love in all the wrong places, only to be disappointed time and time again. Or perhaps you've been searching for meaning and purpose chasing after some dream, some person, or something, hoping that it would meet your expectations, your needs, your desires. Thirsting. All of us, whether we realize it or not, are thirsty and longing for something. And when we may try to fill it with a new job or a new relationship or with stuff, and if we don't get what we want, we might be tempted to go to temporary comforts to distract us from our pain and discontentment. Just like those sugary drinks that only dehydrate you, we're tempted to go to earthly pleasures and pursuits that don't really satisfy our souls, but it leaves us thirsty and longing for more. But there is one thing that does truly satisfy Jesus offered it to the Samaritan woman, and he offers it to us. Read with me what it says in verse 10. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So here, Jesus talks about living water that can fully satisfy our thirst. And in the Bible, anytime you see living water, it refers to fresh or moving water found either in the rain or in a river, as opposed to still water found in a cistern or in a well. You see, during that time, anyone who was deemed unclean had to immerse themselves in a mikvah, which was a ritual bathing pool sourced by living water, which was believed to have come directly from God. I mean, can you imagine having to take a bath every time you sin? You might as well never leave the tub. 
Well, that's what the Jews were required to do back then under the law of Moses. Every time they were unclean, they had to wash themselves in a mikvah in order to be pure again. But its effects were only temporary. That's where the idea for Christian baptism first came from. The Jews were practicing this purification ritual long before John the Baptist entered into the scene and began to use it to call people to repentance. And the Samaritan woman was probably used to this lifestyle of washing herself in the mikvah all the time until the day she met Jesus. When she hears about this living water, she asks Jesus to give her some. But Jesus responds in a very unusual way. He tells her to go bring her husband, to which she replies, I don't have a husband. To which he responds, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've in fact had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. Now, why would Jesus do that? They're talking about living water and then all of a sudden Jesus is bringing up her past which she's not too thrilled about, by the way, because she tries to switch the topic and instead goes into this long theological discussion about the true place of worship for Jews and Samaritans. But isn't that, isn't that just like us sometimes and how we respond to God when he tries to point out an area of sin in our lives? We rather avoid it than deal with it. And yet what this passage shows us is that we need to first recognize and acknowledge our sins if we want to receive God's cleansing and mercy. You see, Jesus knew that the Samaritan woman had a purity issue that was only going to be resolved through him. Her rejection, her failures, her mistakes, her shame, all of that was going to be washed away permanently and she would become a brand new person in him. And in the same way, we can become a brand new person in Christ when we receive this living water that can cleanse us from the inside out. And you might be sitting there wondering, well, how do I get that? In verse 10, when Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God, in Greek, that word gift translates as free gift. The living water that Jesus offers is not something we can earn, but it's something we freely receive by faith. And it's free to us because it cost everything to Jesus. It cost him his very own life. Later on, John 19 says that as Jesus hung on the cross, he breathed his last saying, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. Then a soldier came and pierced his side with a sword to make sure that Jesus was really dead. And this blood and water came gushing out of Jesus' side. The blood that came out from his side was for the forgiveness of our sins. This is what we commemorate during communion when we receive the cup. We recognize that it's only Jesus' blood that has the power to permanently cleanse us of our sins. And the water that came from Jesus' side symbolized the new life given to those who believe. This is what Christians do when we get baptized. 
We immerse ourselves in water and we come out a brand new creation because of what Jesus did on the cross. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus became the fountain of life for all mankind. And if that wasn't enough, there's something more that happens as we drink from this living water. In John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So besides being cleansed and becoming new, Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He's the one who reveals Jesus to us. He's the one who convicts us of sin. He's the one who cleanses and purifies us, and he's the one who makes us new. And for those who believe in Jesus, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who then fills them and makes them into a wellspring of life for others. That's what happened to the Samaritan woman when she encountered Jesus at the well. You see, before she met Jesus, she was an outcast full of shame and rejection. But after she met Jesus, she couldn't contain her excitement and she ran back into town and told everybody that she had met the Messiah who had told her everything about her past. That sounds like a completely different person, doesn't it? And something really similar happened to Jesus' disciples on the day of Pentecost, which is what we're celebrating today. Jesus' disciples were ordinary, fearful men most of whom abandoned Jesus at his greatest hour of need. But on the day of Pentecost, Jesus sent living water, the Holy Spirit, to be poured out upon the earth so that all believers would be clothed with power from on high to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I want to tell you guys something. We are still living in the days of Pentecost. Pentecost was not a one-time event that happened nearly 2,000 years ago, but it is still taking place today as the Holy Spirit comes upon believers. People are getting saved. They're getting healed. They're getting set free as in the days of the early church. And now that we're living in these unprecedented times where there's so much fear and confusion and division, we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit like never before. Just a few days ago, I was in the church sanctuary praying into a vision that Pastor Nathan shared with me when I first came to Stanwich. It's a vision that someone in our congregation had of the earth cracking open and water was beginning to be released out of the church sanctuary and into the sea. When I first heard about this vision, it left such a mark in my spirit that I began to pray into it, asking God to release more and more of this living water out of the church and onto the world. So a few days ago, as I was sitting in the sanctuary, praying and asking God to release that living water, I sensed God telling me that it was already happening. 
You see, I was looking at an empty sanctuary to see if something was going to happen. But God showed me that living water was flowing out of the church sanctuary. It was going out and turning into these tiny hundreds of little streams out of the sanctuary, covering the entire region because that's where his people were. God's presence doesn't dwell in a physical building, but he dwells in the hearts of people. Your heart is God's sanctuary. And wherever you go, rivers of living water can come out of you at your Zoom meeting, at the grocery store, and in your neighborhood so that people can encounter Christ through you. So let us worship God together, regardless of where we are, in spirit and in truth, and let us become a wellspring of life for others. So come, come, all who are thirsty, and receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit today. As we close, Katie and Anna are going to lead us in a special song. And I encourage you that as you listen to the song, invite the Holy Spirit to fill you where you are. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can drink from the fountain of life that fully satisfies and never runs dry. Thanks be to God.